we're going to get you out of here as early as possible. <laughs> you didn't know who was going to be preaching, huh? huh. What was that about, uh, Christy? I heard that. Uh, I want you to hold on to the words of that last song, His Death Brought Liberty, because I think you will see how my thoughts in light of the Scripture will come full circle that will lead us into communion. Uh, let's look at our text that we're looking at, James 5, 7 to 12. Let me just read, actually, 7 to 11. I'm going to narrow my um, uh, comments here. Uh, 7 to 11. Be patient, therefore, James 5, 7 to 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for his precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Verse 8, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know, God, just help us. Help us to have eyes to, uh, ears to hear and eyes to see. We invite you to dig down deep into our lives and, and make the application of your word this morning. This morning... We will look at the value of suffering. You came out 9 a.m. for a topic such as this. The value of suffering. The reason, the ultimate goal, is that it will increase, as we think about the value of suffering, it will increase our willingness to enter into patience when we face it. For the sake of this sermon this morning, I'm going to use suffering and pain interchangeably. I recognize there is a difference where pain is more objective and suffering more subjective, but in our common culture, we kind of blend these and we don't always make distinctions between the two. So for the sake of this morning, I will use them interchangeably. Because I think uh, it will help us understand the application is the same regardless. James is writing uh, to a dispersed church, to people that are scattered. And so we have to ask, how are they suffering? What is James addressing that he has this ongoing topic of be patient, the Lord is coming, Endure suffering. Uh, the, the potential of the suffering and pain that these uh, believers are experiencing are multifaceted. Last week, we studied and looked uh, with Matt in James 5, particularly or verse 4, there were some laborers that were working, that were diligent about their task, but they weren't compensated justly. They were taken advantage of. That is a form of suffering. That is a type of pain. Next week, we're going to look at there was physical illness. 
that you are to call the elders next week, we'll see. And so there's um, some physical suffering going on. Just the very fact that they are dispersed. They've been a persecuted group. Think about the Ukrainians and the suffering and pain that they are experiencing and that they're having to uh, come to terms with to try to make sense of in, in this world. It could be James 5, 7, I think also gives us a little sense of a different kind of suffering where he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Their livelihood, their well-being, their health is dependent upon the rains and the crops that they produce for their sustenance. And when you can't control that, you are stuck in this limbo, this waiting. And that time can create a lot of angst, a different kind of suffering, a different kind of pain, not knowing when are the rains going to come? Are they going to come? Will we be delivered? And through it all, James 5.8 says, it's hard. Be patient. Strengthen your heart. Stand firm. Our response to pain and suffering reveals our heart. It tells us in 8.9, you will see when pain and suffering comes into all of our lives, two kinds of responses. Grumbling, or patience. Patience is a sign of a strong heart. A person who keeps their ultimate affections focused on God despite life circumstances. If we understand the value of pain and suffering, then I believe it will help us take a step towards exercising and increase patience when we encounter our own suffering and pain. So we're going to look at the value of suffering through three stories. Uh, and I think these stories will reveal to us that suffering can teach us, suffering can reveal to us, and also suffering shows us. Three stories. First story is a modern-day story of Ramon, and then we'll look at an ancient story of Job, which is in our text. And then we'll conclude as we come to the Lord's table, Jesus Christ's story. First, a modern-day story of Ramon. One book that probably I have used most in uh, sermons and illustrations is this book right here, Pain, the Gift That Nobody Wants. And the subtitle is, Warning, Life Without Pain Could Really Hurt You. Life Without Pain Could Really Hurt You. You think about it, because most of us, particularly in the West, the first thing we want to do is deaden pain. Silence it. Pain is the enemy. Suffering is the enemy. And I'm suggesting that is a product of our culture. But suffering can have a much bigger, deeper spiritual purpose in our life. 
The book is written by Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey, but primarily it's about Dr. Paul Brand's uh, work in India in leprosariums. Uh, this was back in the, the 1960s. He was a hand surgeon from England, and he went to India working in leprosariums. And lepers, because of the effects of um, uh, the leprosy on the nerve endings, particularly at the outer extremities, because they inhabit uh, cooler places, they would get a deformed hand, what they referred to as a claw hand. And it would be a mark in the culture and society that these were um, lepers. They were looked down upon. Dr. Paul Brand, a missionary doctor, perfected some surgeries in order to correct it so that a hand that was not usable all of a sudden been able to function, to grasp things, to open it up. But with that came another problem as they were able to start uh, being more uh, free to engage in culture and society and work, they started harming themselves and hurting themselves because they lacked feeling in the outer extremities. They really noticed this in the leprosarium because uh, they would sleep, they would, the lepers who occupied the leprosarium would sleep there and then in the morning, they found all of these uh, sores and, and raw wounds, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. For the longest time, they had the um, reputation that it was the rotting flesh disease, and they didn't know what was going on. Well, they decided they would have a guard watch during the night and see what's going on. That at night when they go to bed and then in the morning we see these signs. What they discovered that rats in these low income leprosariums were coming out and actually nibbling on the flesh of their fingers and they would not feel it. So they devised uh, ways to counter this. Rat traps. But the most effective was a special breed of Siamese cats that were real ratters that would go out and get them. And as long as they were there, it would uh, alert them. And now I want you, that's the backdrop to the story of Ramon, and I'm just going to read a short section here. One weekend, Ramon asked permission to visit Madras to spend a holiday with his family. I want to go back to where I was rejected, he told me, speaking to Dr. Brand. Before, when his fingers had drawn into a claw shape, people had treated him as an outcast. Now, with limber hands, he wanted to try out his new identity in the great city of Madras. We reviewed all the dangers that he might encounter, and Ramon excitedly boarded the train for Madras. He returned two days later, a pathetic, forlorn figure, a different Ramon than we had ever seen. Thick gauze bandages covered both hands. His shoulders slumped and he could barely speak to me without crying. Oh, Dr. Brand, look at my hands, look at my hands, he moaned. Sometimes passed before he could tell me the whole story. His first night home, Ramon had celebrated in a joyous reunion with his family. 
He told them he was now certified negative. And after a few more surgeries on his hand, he could begin searching for a job. At last, he felt fully accepted by his family. Happier than he had been in years, he retired to his old room, vacant for years, and fell asleep on a woven pallet on the floor. The next morning, Ramon inspected his hands, first thing, as we had trained him. To his horror, he found a bloody wound on the back of his left index finger. The finger I had worked on now had no skin on the backside. Ramon knew the telltale signs, drops of blood and marks in the dust, confirmed that a rat had visited him during the night. He had not thought to take his cat along for a weekend visit. All that day, Ramon agonized. Should he return to Valor, where the leprosarium is, should he return early? He shopped for a rat trap, but shops were closed for the holiday. He decided to spend one more night, this time with a stick at his side. He would force himself to stay awake to get revenge against the cat. Sunday night, Ramon sat cross-legged on his pallet, his back against the wall, reading a book. He managed to keep his eye open until four o'clock in the morning when they grew heavy, and he could no longer fight off sleep. Still in the sitting position, he dozed. The book fell forward onto his knees. His hand slid over to one side against a hot hurricane lantern. And that explained the bandaged hands. He stared in disbelief at his hands. He who had admonished others about the dangers of leprosy had now failed to protect himself. I tried my best to comfort him. This was no time for scolding. After months of soaring expectations in Valor, the leprosarium, one weekend trip to Madras, had shattered his confidence. I feel as I've lost all my freedom, he told me, when he could finally talk about the incident. And then in tears, he asked a question that has stayed with me. Dr. Brand, how can I ever be free without pain? How can I ever be free without pain. The cross, the pain, grants freedom. How can I ever be free? The value of suffering and pain is that it frees us. But what does it free us from? Let's look at Job, an ancient example. Think about Job. In Job 1.1, we see that Job was blameless. Job was doing everything right. In Job 1.9-11, everything's going well for Job. And then Satan comes to God. And Satan says... 
God, I know what's going on here. Stretch out your hand and touch everything he has, and he will curse you to your face. See, Satan is saying that, yeah, when there's no pain and suffering, Job is in sync with you. But when pain and suffering comes, watch what will happen. Uh, Satan is saying, no one serves God for just who he is, period, his being. They serve him because of what they want to get out of God. Two radically different pursuits. Pain and suffering helps clarify what our faith is in. Is it in a person... Or is it in a thing, an idea, a concept, a cause? Or is it in a person? Job's response to pain and suffering, it wasn't a magical thing. It wasn't what we want when we have pain and suffering. We want that quick fix. It was not that all. We see Job had to struggle with this just like you and I will have to because we don't like that path of pain and suffering. It came through struggling with it. We see in Job, he, he makes statements like, cursed is the day I'm born. Miserable the counselors that came to him and tried to provide direction. He protests to God. But as dark and as difficult as pain and suffering can be, this sermon is not to make light as, as though it's easy. Through it all, Job never renounced God. Is your faith in a person? Suffering and pain will help you clarify what your faith is in. You will discover that often your faith is a mixture of things. Now the things we may put our faith in is not necessarily bad, but it can't be the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing is a person. When I share my story, my faith story, you know, I tell folks before I received Jesus Christ, I was a good kid. And after I received Jesus Christ, I continued to be a good kid. Some people will argue with that, right, Mel? My brother up here, and I see my other brother, they, they may want to argue about that. I, I received Jesus Christ because I wanted acceptance of both my biological and my church family. What it motivated me to coming to Christ as a 10-year-old is for me to be able to fit into my Christian culture. That's not a bad thing. That is leveraging a positive influence for something greater uh, long-term. That's good. However, pain and suffering as we go through life will purify that faith. 
It will help you recognize what your faith is in so that you can direct it more clearly to the one and only God that is eternal. We are weaned off lesser motivations of faith and it's replaced by God himself alone. See, pain and suffering will reveal to you patience, or grumbling. Greater clarity of what it means to be a follower of God. A healthier follower of God because you are gaining clarity. It's an important tool. It frees you from faith put in lesser things for the ultimate person. We see that Job's 42.5, this great declaration. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now, a result of the pain and suffering that came into my life, Job says, now I see you. Annie Dillard, an American author, wrote this, you do not have to sit outside in the dark if, however, you want to look at the stars, you'll find that darkness is required. Pain and suffering can help you see and know God with much greater clarity. James 5.11 announces, as bad as pain and suffering is, at the same time, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. When pain and suffering comes, we probably do not think or feel that. The value of suffering, though, it helps us to see God more clearly, that God transcends all of these earthly circumstances that overwhelm us, that start to skew our perspective uh, who God is. And then uh, suffering re shows us, demonstrates. We see that in Jesus Christ. We see in Jesus Christ this God that is full of compassion and mercy. Pain and suffering teaches us what love looks like, what love, what compassion and mercy looks like. In our wedding vows, often there are these lines, do you take this person to be your lawfully wedded husband or wife through richer or poor, through sickness and in health, till death do you part? In essence, it's saying, are you willing to suffer, to experience pain, to take on pain on behalf of another? Suffering is valuable because it teaches us what it means to love another person. God's compassion and mercy is seen by his suffering. His pain. 
upon the cross and his death. That's the amazing thing is how this miraculous God can take something as despicable as a criminal's death on a cross and draw out of it beauty. How God takes death, suffering, pain, and draws out of it something beautiful. We need to be mindful of that. I want to read just a section of Psalm, uh, Isaiah 53. We often refer to it as the suffering servant as our lead into communion as we reflect on particularly the pain and suffering of Jesus Christ on our behalf that reveals, that shows to us His compassion and mercy as a backdrop. And then we'll come to communion. We got a table in the back. We got two uh, up here. This is where uh, we sometimes call it self-serve where uh, Christy and uh, her friend will be up to um, lead us in worship or play a backdrop of music. You can take your time, come up, take the elements. The bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you and the grape juice, uh, His blood that was sacrificed on your behalf. So think about that suffering and pain that came at his expense but it has provided you freedom that you don't have to stay in a posture of grumbling during times of suffering and pain but you can choose patience So reflect on this great God. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when we come to communion, you are invited to come to get the uh, elements that represent the body and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then either go back to your chair, do it individually, as a family, as a couple, uh, go in the hallways, whatever. I'll come up here and conclude us. And we'll um, be free to go to the one service there at the... Um, grandstand. Okay, let's just close our heads and and ponder uh, these words from Isaiah, the suffering servant foreseeing uh, uh, the coming Messiah and how he is described. It's not what you would have expect a Messiah would look like. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men, women, would hide their faces. He was despised. We did not esteem him at all. Surely he has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed 
for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. As ugly as the cross of Jesus Christ was, God, you brought beauty forth. We celebrate that sacrifice on our behalf in remembrance of you.